Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Keep going there. If you remember last week, we spoke about how the letter from Paul to the Ephesians had started in the first three chapters. We started with him telling us about the foundational truths of God, and it's kind of why we believe what we believe. Well, then Paul made a shift. If you remember in in chapter four, uh, at the beginning there, it said that he made a shift kind of into, now, how do we actually do this? All right, we talked about uh, three traits, remember, that lead to oneness. We talked about being humble, being gentle, and being patient, right? Remember those? And then we, we said that, that that is so rare in our society today that if it were somehow present in the life of this church, that the world would take notice. Well, today, beginning in verse 7, we see another slight change because Paul now, he, he's going from... Uh, all about what we had in common through oneness to the ways we are to accomplish to complement each other through our unique gifts and our differences and so so what we see is that our unity shines through through these quality traits that we talked about and our diversity or our differences that reveals the way in the way we function or really how we contribute to the body through the variety of gifts that Christ gave the church so If you have your Bibles or devices with you, we're going to be today in Ephesians, right? In Ephesians, we've been there for a while, still going. And we'll be in chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 7 through 16. 7 through 16. And and verse 7 starts with this. It says, "But but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And he starts with to each one of us, meaning all who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. I just want us to remember over and over that Paul is speaking to believers. He's speaking to us as believers. And then as, and as a believer, we're told that that grace has been given to us. Well, now here, Paul uses a little lesser known meaning of the word grace. Yes, the incredible gift of salvation, that's grace, right? And it's given to us as soon as we surrender to Christ. But there's more. This is speaking of the enabling power that comes from our salvation. God God has given each of us a calling or Christ's gift and the power, which is that grace, to fulfill it. And and so we've we've been both gifted and empowered, which is really an incredible thing. But guys, it's also an accountability piece because it it really leaves no room for excuses. Then he finishes verse 7 with this. He says, as Christ apportioned it. Now, the definition of a portion is to divide and delegate. And so when you break down that, that, that first sentence in, in kind of Mark Roach language, it would be, as believers, we've been given gifts or abilities by God, and we have been empowered to perform these gifts, and it's Christ who divides and delegates what each one of us gets. Okay? Now, somehow I wonder why they didn't say it like that. But if they did, we probably wouldn't research as much. I don't know. I know there's a reason, but I want to make sure you know that because that's a lot of meat in that first sentence. And then in verse 8, it says this. It says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, 
speaking of Jesus, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, what you need to know, a little history here, is Paul's quoting from Psalm 68 in the Old Testament, and he gives it just a little bit of a new application here. Because in Psalm 68, David was calling on God to rescue his people like he had done in the past. The Lord had done this in the Exodus, and when his presence alone on Mount Sinai made the entire mountain tremble, and the kings of the earth were scattered. Well, the psalm finishes saying, then God set himself up on the mountain and received gifts from men. Okay, that's Psalm 68. Now, David, he applies this to the same scripture, to Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven. Because, also, because he also, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he led his people to freedom as he ascended to heaven. By doing so, Here's the part that talks about the captive. Jesus took captive of everything that had ensnared all people from the beginning and the same evil that sought to overwhelm him as well. Remember, he did this by defeating sin through a sinless life. And then he willingly offered his lifeblood for that final payment of all sin. And then through his glorious resurrection, he defeated death. All right? So, so we see the similarities, right? But, but look at the change that Paul made. In Psalm 68, David declared that God received gifts from men, right? And he did that to give his people confidence. But in Ephesians 4, 8, Paul declares that Jesus gave gifts to the people. I, I love what John Stotts said this in his commentary. He said this, and it, it explains it much better than I can. He said, we need to remember that after every conquest in the ancient world, there was both a receiving of tribute and a distribution of gifts bestowed among the people. What the conquerors took from their captives, they gave away to their own people. The spoils were divided and the booty was shared. So look at this. David in Psalm 68, he was highlighting the Lord's victory over his enemies so to give his people confidence. But Paul's desire was to show the result of Christ's victory, which was the distribution of wealth in the form of spiritual gifts. You see the, see the difference? He, 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 he took the history and then and put a slight spin. But spiritual gifts are this. They're supernatural abilities Christ gives to his believers that enable us to perform functions in the church with effectiveness and skill. In other words, we're able to do what we do with excellence. And, and these gifts, they have a specific purpose, to serve and edify the people of Christ who make up the church. So what that means is you and I get the joy of using them, but Christ gets the glory for giving them. Let me, um, let me go through. I want to give you just a couple more facts about spiritual gifts. Um, I think it's something that we all, you know, it'd be another day, another time, because it would take the whole time. But I, I, want, to, I want to give you a couple things here. It says every believer is given at least one spiritual gift, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it this way. Now, to each one, to each one, speaking about believers, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The second one is that spiritual gifts are given when we are saved and are used to fulfill God's calling. All right? 1 Peter 4, 11, If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. The third one is gifts are, are varied and they fill different roles. Some are more visible than others, but listen to this. But all are of equal importance. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as one body, just, just as a body, though one, has many parts, 
but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. And then the, the fourth one is this. All gifts get their power from the same source, the triune God. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 6 says this. It says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. One God. Verse 9 says this. It says, what, what does ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? So, so let's look at that. There, there are three interpretations here about, about what this verse is saying. The first is that the lower parts could be the earth itself. That would mean that Paul is referring to Christ's incarnation or his descent from heaven to earth. Okay, that's the first one. The second one, it says he may be describing Christ's descent into Hades between his death and his resurrection. Or the third one, it may be translated into the lower parts referring to his death and burial. So those are the three interpretations there of, of, of verse 9. And even though there are different views in that one, it seems that they are all in agreement with verse 10. Because verse 10 says this. It says, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Let's break that one down. You see, what we see is that Jesus left earth to return to heaven so that he might fill the world more completely with himself. Listen to what he told his disciples. This is what he shared with them on the night before he was crucified. You'll find this in, in John 16, 7. John 16, 7 says this, But very truly I tell you, it is good, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Guys, if... If Jesus didn't come to do what God had come, called him to do, you see that there would be no gospel, right? There would be no gospel because without dying, he could not remove our sins because that was the penalty required. Nor could he rise again and defeat death if he had not died. So all of those tie together. And now if he, if he did not go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit would not come. You see, God, God had this entire thing planned out over and over and over because we have to remember that Christ's presence here on earth was limited to one place at a time. He could only be one place at a time. But now by leaving, he was able to, to fill the whole world through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's plan is absolutely amazing. And sometimes, for some reason, I think I have a better idea. I, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had an explanation for that one. All right, verses 11 through 13. We're going to kind of bundle these. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. So let's do this. Let's look first at those four gifts that Paul focuses on, okay? And let's see how they are to help equip the people of Christ. He started with the apostles. And this was the first gift that Christ mentions. And he refers to it as this. It, it refers to someone who was sent, 
right? Someone who was sent. Now, most believe this was a very specific group known as the Apostles of Christ. That would include Matthias, who took the place of Judas, right? And also included would be Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, and maybe a few others. But there's one thing that they all had in common. All were men who personally saw the risen Christ and were given absolute authority in the founding of the church. You see, it was their gift that gave them exactly what they needed to go into unchurched areas to preach the gospel and to start new congregations. Then he, he speaks about the prophets. And, and along with the apostles, the, the, the prophets uh, formed the foundation of the church, which is why their gifts are called foundational gifts. And the prophets had three very important roles. All right, the first is this. They foretold the future as it was revealed to them. That's what the prophets did. They were to exhort, encourage, and strengthen God's people. And then most importantly, they revealed the word of God. And, and, and this was before the New Testament had been completed or recorded, so someone had to reveal what was being said. Then we go to the evangelists, all right? The evangelists in the early church, the evangelists were the traveling ministers, very similar to the missionaries that we have today. And, and they too would go to non-Christian regions and preach the gospel and often start churches, or they would develop the ones that had been started by the apostles. An evangelist is this. An evangelist is, the, is one who possesses a special ability or a gift to communicate the gospel in a way that is relevant, but yet easy to understand. That's the role of the evangelist. And then we look at pastor and teacher. These two terms were linked grammatically in the Greek text and refer to a single gift called pastor slash teacher. So, so the roles were combined. But, but with this single gift, it had two distinct functions. The first, to, to shepherd the flock. They shepherd the flock by meeting the day-to-day -day needs of the congregation, Right? Things such as counseling and comforting and guiding. And then the second is to feed the sheep through the teaching of the word, which is what I hope and pray that we are doing this morning. And then in verse 12, we see that these four groups were given the gifts so that they may equip the believers for different works of service. And, and so I want to look at what does it mean to equip the believers? I think a great example of this would be the relationship between Jesus and Peter. You might remember that, that when Jesus first called Peter to follow him, his name was Simon, right? His name was Simon. And Jesus changed it to Peter, meaning rock or stone. But at the time he changed it, Peter was anything but a rock. If you remember, his, one of his proudest statements is that he would never deny Jesus, right? And then a day later, he's denying him three times. But here's what we have to see. This is the important part here. Jesus didn't call Peter rock because, uh, uh, because he was one. He called Peter rock because he saw what he could become. You see the difference? It, it, it's, it's like a, a sculptor who looks at a stone. And when a sculptor looks at that stone, he doesn't see a dirty, unshaped rock. What he can already see is the picture of the finished statue. But here is another point here. What you have to understand is this. It's the sculptor's job to chisel away at the stone and cause the image to become a reality. 
You see, that's what Jesus did for Peter. That's what Jesus did for Peter and what he does for us. And, and I was thinking what a gift it would be if we as a church could all see people not for who they are, but for who they could be. Can you imagine? And Jesus equipped Peter so that he could be who God created him to be. That's what he did. So pastors slash teachers are to equip the body, listen to this, so that more people are able to use the gifting Christ has given them so that they in turn can reach more people. Again, God's plan, absolutely perfect. I love how Pastor Swindoll kind of tied this together, uh, a little bit of humor, but he says this, so ministers aren't the only ones to call, call to serve, but to prepare the body or the church to serve in Christ's name as well. Otherwise, the church would become like a football game with 50,000 onlookers in the stands desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest. Yeah, pretty good picture of some places, right? Pretty good picture. You see, we were never called to be spectators. Never. All right, so the goal of equipping the believers to serve is for the building up of the body. All right, it just, it's like a puzzle. It just keeps going. It's for the building up of the body so that we as a body may live, speak, share, and serve in such a way that people see Christ in us. So I, I like, you know, I like to, to know, okay, how do, we do, how do we do this? How do we test this, right? How can we know if the body is being built up? And in and, and these last four verses, Paul gives us four signs that are present in a built-up body, okay? He gives us four signs. The first sign of a grown-up congregation is that the believers possess mature minds. Let me show you where I get that. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Think about this for a minute, Okay? Think about what mature minds in Christ are capable of. Now, I wrote down a few things. There are more. But think about this. They have the ability to teach and share in truth about the ways of Christ. Mature minds are able to listen before they speak. They can have a discussion instead of an argument. They can forgive others as they have been forgiven. They can see others for who they can become. They can actually be happy when others are succeeding. They never worry about who's getting the credit, knowing that all the glory belongs to God. And they may be calm in the middle of chaos. You see, Jesus Christ exhibited every one of those skills. And guys, as we continue on this journey of studying and praying and begging God to build up our body for his glory... Imagine, imagine the impact if that's how we were able to live our lives. Now, again, still a work in progress in mind, and I think it always will be, but we can grow. All right, the second sign is this. The second sign is to, to tell if a body's being built up is spiritual stability. Because maturity expressed through unity while still growing in Christ always leads to stability. Verse 14 says it this way. Then, 
Think about with stability. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of the people in their deceitful scheming. When you and I don't want something to blow away, right? What do we do? All right, we, we make sure that it has a good base or a good foundation, right? So that even in the storms, it's still stable. It doesn't blow away. And, and when we are able to continue maturing in the ways and the knowledge of Christ, our foundation or our base grows stronger. And guys, when that happens, we don't get blown away by the false teaching that continues happening today. You know, it's, it's really only common sense that the more we know about something, the harder it is to fool us, right? I mean, the more we know about something, the harder it is to, to fool us. But there's another piece to this, because for those of you who are, are, are doing this, who are gaining your spiritual maturity, it is our job, listen to this, it is our job to protect those who are still growing, because that's what a good family does. That's who we are. And then the third sign, the third sign of a built-up body, and this is a tough one, is to speak truth in love. To speak truth in love. It says in verse 15, instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And guys, this is crucial if we're ever going to be the built-up body that God desires. This is crucial. And, and there's no way it can happen unless we continue to mature in the ways of Christ. This is the hard part about this, okay? Some of us have been gifted, have been gifted to see when someone else is being blown off course. We, we've been gifted to know when, they're, when they might be moving away from, from Christ a little bit. But if we're not careful in our anxiousness to get them, we go into attack mode, right? We go into attack mode instead of sharing it through love. I want you to think about something. Before you, if you are gifted in that area, before you go to speak to someone, I want you to do three things for me. I want you to slow down and bathe it in prayer, okay? I want you to slow down and bathe the opportunity in prayer. I want you to beg God for wisdom. And then I want you to ask him to also prepare the heart of the one you're about to share with. Guys, remember, we're not trying to catch people. We're trying to restore them. All right, then there's another side to this, right? That's what makes it so tough. Because some of us sitting here this morning have this gifting of love, right? Well, and because of that, if we're not careful, because of our desire to keep the peace, we just let things go, right? We just let things slide. But let me ask you this. How can it be called love if you and I know something that someone is being blown off course and we do nothing about it? Do you see the balance there? I love, again, one more from John Stott today because I enjoy it. But I love what he says. Listen to this. He says, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. But love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. So the two must go hand in hand. And then the last sign of being a body that is built up is cooperation. Cooperation. Listen to verse 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, just like with our physical bodies, right? We, as a church, we are at our best when everyone is doing what they are designed to do. Now, now, can we still function if someone is not doing their job? Yeah. Yeah, we can. We just won't be as good. We won't be as complete. We won't be able to do it with excellence. Let me see if I can give you an example of this. Okay, so like, let's say that um, my foot decides not to work today, right? Now, I can still function. I can still get around. But I will tell you this. I will have limitations. I will have limitations. I think the, the hardest part about this gifting is that sometimes we don't see our area as important as we think it should be. But we just read that all gifts are important. Some are more out front, but that they all have equal value. You see, the devil, he, he knows the incredible strength of a built-up body of people all in unity for the common purpose of glorifying God. He knows that. And so he's coming at us. He tries to continuously disrupt that. But you and I were created to serve a certain role for God. And guys, when we're operating in that, when we're operating in our sweet spot, in our area that he designed us for, you see, we can do that well. We can do it with excellence. But the other thing about that is it brings passion and purpose and meaning into your life. And that's something that, that, that no money could ever buy. So let me, let, me, let me see if I can try to take this and, and, and sum it up a little bit. And, and guys, I, I, I want you to understand something first. Before I say this, okay, I truly love you. My family has been so loved in this church. My children grew up knowing Christ. My wife and I have been here and got a chance to mature and grow in your love. And, 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 and I am absolutely in love with this church. But I say this because I want you to experience this in your life. I don't want you to miss out on this amazing journey that God has for you. This journey is going to require that we grow and mature in our love for Christ together. Because you see, we were designed for community and a need for each other. That's how God designed us. Again, part of his plan. But the truth is this. Some of us here today have become comfortable. And guys, we need you. We need you. Because we will never see the full impact of what God wants to do on these 25 acres without you. Now, we'll still do it. It just will be missing a couple pieces, like a puzzle that's got a couple pieces missing. We, as a church, we have to see that the love of Christ and what he's given us has to expand beyond me and mine. It has to expand beyond me and mine if we're going to be who God's called us to be. And, and one of the coolest things about being here a lot is that I get to see this happening on a weekly basis. 
Guys, we, we have men and women who are teaching and leading others. I, we got a landscaping crew that takes care of the lawn. We got people gifted in, in, in electrical work and plumbing. We have volunteers who have painted different parts of this campus many times over. We have someone who has the ability to fix anything with a motor. It's amazing. We have volunteers who serve as sports chaplains and scorekeepers. We have a team who helps family members in need with meals. We have another team that feeds the homeless. We have greeters. We have ushers. We have children's teachers, prayer warriors, and so many gifted musicians. And guys, there's so much more that I, I, don't, I don't know and don't have time to say. But what I do know is they do it for the glory of God. And this church wouldn't be this church without them. It is absolutely incredible, yes. But here's what I need you to see. There is still more room. There is still more room for others. And there are people sitting in this room today that can make that happen. There are skills that God has given you. There's gifting that God has given you. And he gave it to you. Yes, you may use it in your job, but he gave it to you to glorify God. He gave it to you to be a part of the church and to help the church be the church that God wants it to be. That's what he did. You see, Paul's desire, his desire was to see a church of mature believers serving in their gifted areas that would turn the world upside down. That was his desire. I guess my question is, why not us and why not now? And so when we go into this last song, what I'd love for you to do is, I'd like for you to just, just think about this. What is it that's keeping me from doing what God called me to do? I'm trying to think of that example. You know, if, if you're sitting there and you know Jesus, right? And you're not using your gifts. It, it's like having a Ferrari in your, in your driveway and you drive a moped. I'm, I don't know a better way to say that, right? You, you have so much power in you. The Holy Spirit, a peace of God is living in you as a believer. And so many times I forget that. I promise you, I am not preaching at you. I am preaching with you. We can be better. Not for us, but for God. Let's do this. Let's truly think about what it is God's called us to do. And let's see how we make this church incredible for his glory. And one day when we're at home, we'll celebrate that as we see members coming in the door. Can you imagine? Let me pray. God, Heavenly Father, when we, when we break down and see your plan and, and its perfection, when we see that you thought of everything, Everything we need, everything we desire to, to be able to do what you've called us to do has been given to us. But God, we still have to work. We still have to study. We still have to pray. We still have to beg you to say, God, what's mine? There's so many people saying, well, help me find my spiritual gift. No, go to God one-on-one -on -one and ask him, God, what did you create me for? And if you know, 
man, be the best you can be. Use the Holy Spirit's power. And never let yourself get the glory. God, if we can do those things, you can do mighty things here in this church. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.